How you doing? This is Davis from Salt Lake City. I work at a homebrew supply store also called The Beer Nut. And you're listening to The Late Edition here in Yakima Valley, Washington. Welcome, everybody, to the Heart of Hop Country. This is the Late Edition podcast from YakimaValleyHops.com and SpotHops.com. My name is Caleb Schwecki, and thanks so much for joining us. The Late Edition podcast features casual conversations with farmers, hop breeders, brewers, a bunch of fun folks in the hop industry here in the Yakima Valley. And actually, this episode is a special one of sorts because we are going to step out of the Yakima Valley and talk with Diane Gooding. She's from Gooding Farms over in Idaho. So we are going to learn more about that growing region. We're going to learn about one of the fun new hops that she found that she's growing now. We also talk about some fun things like solar panels, the farm bill that just passed a couple days ago. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you, Diane, for being so generous with your time. It was a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Enjoy. My name is Diane Gooding. I'm a vice president at Gooding Farms. It's a family-owned and operated hop farm in southwestern Idaho. Farms about 45 minutes due west of Boise, which is the capital of the state. Okay, excellent. And how long have you been farming hops? Uh, the Gooding family has been farming hops since 1895. We originally started up in Oregon, in the Willamette Valley, which still is obviously a very prolific region for hop production. In the mid-40s, after you know, 45, my grandpa, my great-grandfather moved from Oregon to southwest Idaho, where the farm currently is now. And he thought that the area was would be very conducive for growing hops at that time. The Bat family, uh, who one of the members eventually came, became the gov- state governor, was growing hops. The Bat family had started growing hops in uh, the Treasure Valley in mid to late, uh, early to mid 30s. I think 32, if my memory serves correctly. So word had kind of gotten out that, you know, like in Washington and central Washington and Yakima, where the you know predominant region is, Idaho is a little more arid. So less disease pressure, less mildew pressure, uh, a little bit, you know, warmer environment, which helps with vigor and, and general production. So grandpa thought that he would give himself a few more advantages and, and he did uh, eventually move the farm, the family and everyone uh, to the wilder area in uh, 48. Okay, what are some of the common characteristics that make a good hop growing region? So you said a more arid area, you know, improves some disease resistances, but then what what are some things that hops need? So hop needs water, obviously, and you know, with most agricultural crops, irrigation's paramount. Even at that time there was very good supply of water in the Treasure Valley. There's a, a very extensive irrigation and canal system. Uh, we also have four different storages that feed the irrigation for the area. So even if in drought years there you know, was high likelihood that you would have enough water to, to make it through the growing season. Uh, also hops need you know, fairly decent soil. They're not super sensitive like a blueberry to pH. They like that kind of mid-level pH not too acidic, not too salty, and Idaho in general has good soil conditions as well. And daylight length, right? 
Yep, so we are a little bit more southern than uh, say Yakima or the Willamette Valley. Both of those areas are uh, north of the 45th parallel. We are, I think about 42 and a half, which is a little, a little more southerly exposure, but most varieties, unless they're incredibly sensitive to daylight time length, are, are generally fine. So uh, we our training dates and some of the cultural practices that we use in southern Idaho are slightly different than Yakima. That's certainly one difference that sets us apart. We tend to also harvest a little bit earlier at the beginning. So uh, varieties like Centennial or Willamette or now Idaho Gem, uh, those are all very early pick and as early as you know the 15th to the 20th of August, which is quite early in the season. Also lends itself to you know a nice picking window. If you can, the hops are ready that early, you can start earlier than you know the, the quality will be even better than you know potentially elsewhere. Are there any challenges brought by where you're growing? Well, the day length is it can be a curse, although it you know obviously can be a blessing too. Some hops can be a little bit more sensitive to early bloom because of the day length things. So you have to be a little careful on your training date. You know something like a Cascade or a Chinook are not terribly sensitive so you have more flexibility there you know and because it's a little bit warmer and we're all experiencing uh, a little bit you know increased temperature globally some of the pests uh, spider mites in particular thrive in hot dry dusty conditions which you know depends on the summer but can be a little bit more of a challenge for us are there any other hurdles or challenges that you're looking at down the road with climate change so, you know, overall we try to be, you know, good stewards to the ground, good stewards to the environment, uh, pollinators, what have you. One thing that when I came back to the farm in 2010, that I saw is we have these massive roofs. And coming from the Bay Area at that time, you know, the, that California in particular is, is very green initiative forward and, you know, trying to be a, a little bit lighter with your footprint, your carbon footprint. And uh, so I thought that the infrastructure that we had, I mean, it was already there, would be lend itself very well to solar. And finally, we got sort of our, you know, the ideas and everybody on board and together. And we started generating uh, in August, early August of this year on the first installation and then the second installation will be up and running for the winter of uh, 2018, 2019. And once that's all together and done, we'll be 55% offset. So 55% of the total that we consume, we actually produce. And eventually, you know, we'd like to, to move that towards or beyond the 100% mark. Uh, Idaho has some funny laws and rules about being a commercial uh, electricity provider, but we'll see. Utilities commission, commissions can change and you know we're keeping an eye on that because we have actually lar more space than what even our footprint uh, is needed to, to be 100% offset. We could easily generate more if uh, they would allow us to. We'd be happy to do that and you know just trying to, to minimize that carbon footprint. You know we run natural gas through our, our dryer facility and you know eventually it would be need and interesting to look at moving our vehicles and some of our tractors to either running off the solar grid or uh, liquefied natural gas which is essentially zero emissions 
Wow. What are some other ways that hop farming can be kind of resource intensive? You know, obviously it takes quite a bit of fertilizer and, you know, you do have to spray the plants to keep pests and, and you know, other things out of them or away from them or keep, you know, keep the hops clean because ultimately at the end of the day the brewers don't want mildewy, you know, hops to, to go in their beer for off flavors and I mean, the aromas are different and, and that's been well proven. You know, we like to have a pretty good cover cropping regimen and we do a rotation in that that actually can be beneficial to pollinators. So working with some of the local bee folks um, in the area to, you know, if they need any help with any new areas. Um, we did, uh, my sister Michelle actually runs our whole integrated pest management system and which the cover cropping falls into that and she did a mix one year of rye and uh, hairy vetch which might sound a little funny but it's a beautiful flower it's a, a legume type plant and the bees just went nuts so we let it get you know eight ten inches tall and because we spray at night we actually there was zero impact on them from what we needed to do to take care of our crop but they were you know very positively impacted impacted from having that much more ground to pollinate in and uh, butterflies, both the butterflies and the bees, that kind of early June, late May migration was uh, was pretty neat to see. And dad had never seen that in the, the hop fields before. So that was kind of a fun, uh, fun project. And we'll, you know, in the rotation, we'll continue that. I think her every third year or something like that. I, Wow. So legumes, I know there is bacteria that lives on their roots that are also like nitrogen binding. Were, were there any benefits? Yeah. So uh, the one reason that she wanted to do it is because it's a fixer. So um, not only does it, you know, the organic components of it, when it gets broken down, you're increasing your organic content, but it's actually putting fertilizer back into the ground rather than uh, robbing it. So, and that's not my area of expertise. That's about all I know on it, but it, is certainly a positive impact to the soil and the, the general uh, plant health and what have you. Is there a generational shift happening at your farm where like you're coming back with some new ideas maybe about solar or? Yeah, I mean, I think with any family business, it's uh, multi-generational. Each generation kind of leaves their mark on the, the legacy. And dad did an awesome job uh, working with Anheuser-Busch at the time and you know, in the 80s and 90s, hop, growing hops was a really tough business. It was cutthroat and a lot of farms ceased to exist. And, you know, he really always stood behind the quality and excellence that at that time, you know, a lot of the farms were just trying to get by and operate at the least expense possible. And he always went the extra mile, whether it was profitable to him or not, to always focus on that quality. And, you know, that's something that Michelle and I and and everybody at the farm take very seriously and you know now we're continuing that on in our own way through different certifications we're global gap certified which is global good agricultural practices so that goes from safety to food safety to worker safety to cleanliness you know there's a recall piece in there if you know so you kind of plan for every sort of scenario not that we've ever had a recall thankfully but you know and and the green initiative side and you know just continuing on with the business and and shaping it and moving it forward in what we you know see and and 
are motivated by. Mm -hmm. What is your experience coming into a largely older male dominated industry? Well, it's kind of fun because I'm different <laughs> by, you know, just coincidence and, and, and I'm a woman. Um, you know, I, people have asked me a lot like, oh, is it so hard or is it, you know, do you get, you know, weird vibes from people and, and hops in general are, are not, it's not a discriminatory type of a group. I have learned a ton from my colleagues and uh, other fellow growers, whether that be men, women, or any sort of ethnic diversity there. People remember me and Michelle and, and us because we are women, but you know, I think that it's not like we get any passes on anything. I mean, we have the proofs in the pudding, and you know, we think our pudding tastes pretty good. So, well, one of your particular puddings that's pretty new is Idaho Gem, and that's your own variety, correct? Yeah. So Idaho Gem, and it's had a few, uh, you know, had its experimental name, and and we finally settled on the Idaho Gem as a, a trademark name because you know we we are from Idaho, and that's where the variety was found. It's one of those, and you know, we have had it tested to make sure it is unique, which it is. And, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about it and proud and we want to help not just our farm and, but we would like to promote the state and the growing area. You know, Idaho traditionally was the third largest producer in the U.S. We've recently moved into the second spot, um, Washington obviously being the number one producer. And, you know, we just felt like that name kind of speaks to who we are as a farm and at the area as well. Official release was actually 2017, um, but the crop that year was not super big, so we kind of, we've been treading a little bit lightly with it as it grows, and, and we want to make sure that the agronomics are right, as well as the um, brewing values and acceptability within market. And, you know, 2018, we increased the acreage and have had it in testing throughout that whole process. The variety was originally found in 2012. So, you know, we wanted to make sure we did our due diligence in the fact that we weren't gonna release something that was very disease prone or didn't have characteristics that, you know, would be valuable. It's all tested well. It's actually very disease resistant. Not that it's genetically shifted to not have disease, it just ha is, happen chance that it doesn't really get mildew. Thankfully, the spider mites aren't super attracted to it. Uh, something like a nugget, for example, is you take that and, and grow it in southern Idaho, you're gonna have double the amount of sprays for both powdery and uh, spider mites compared to probably what you would see in, in our Idaho gem. Well, okay, so if we'll kind of come back to the fact that it's found genetics and talk a little bit more about the agronomics, but what are the brewing values that you get out of it? Or even just, what do you get when you rub and smell it? So I'm not always the best hop sniffer. <laughs> I'm the grower. Um, but the brewers have, you know, come back with feedback that it varies across the board. Um, but some of the standout ones that kind of keep coming back consistently, you know, brewery after brewery are, you know, it can be a little bit minty. Also a juicy fruit and like raspberries. So depending on, you know, your malt bill and the mix and what yeast you use and so on and so forth, that's not my area of expertise, but it's a pretty diverse range of attributes that you can get out of it. And I always felt like it smelled kind of like Cherry Jolly Rancher, something like that, which maybe I'm just more, you know, conducive to smelling that than other, other folks are. But 
the raspberry jam and, and that kind of a thing has come back year in, year out, and, and the mint as well. So it's it's has um, lots of opportunity for creativity. Yeah, well, and it's new enough that maybe it hasn't been tried in this style or that style yet, so brewers are still experimenting with it, I imagine. Yep, yep, yeah. Uh, I mean, they've done everything from a lager to a hazy to a single hop to dry hop additions, and I mean, it lends itself very well to the hazy because it's kind of a more fruit-forward beer, not necessarily as much citrus side. So that's been, a, and especially where that um, style is very popular right now, it's been used quite a bit in that, and some of the hazies that I've had with Gem in it were some of the best hazies, period, that I've had. So pretty pretty exciting stuff that it fits in that kind of new niche style. So you mentioned it was found and you had it tested. Did you have, like, the whole genome mapped, or...? No, so the hop very only very recently has actually the hop genome been mapped in Cascade. Uh, we just had... There's markers, and I couldn't tell you much beyond that it's not I didn't uh, you know I don't have my PhD in genetics or anything like that but you know we want to make sure that it was unique we felt like it was you know the results kind of proved that as well so we were we were happy very happy to see that you know it is certainly something new and different but it had been growing in Idaho it had it been like a wild hop so it was found in another in a field an existing field and it was so incredibly different than what at that time was in that field. Our agronomist, uh, our field guy, scout, what have you, was like, you know, this thing is, I have no idea what it is, but it smells pretty good and it's totally different than, you know, the CTZ that's here. It doesn't smell like onions. I mean, it smells beautiful. Hops were, you know, the t they were fully formed versus the, you know, your alpha varieties are, tend to, to bloom and mature later in the, in the season. Um, so it was just that different, and so we dug that little hill out, and I isolated all the root material, and, you know, the next spring we had seven hills that we planted and grew it out and started testing it at that point. Do you feel like you kind of stumbled on a lost treasure in some way? Because I, I hear other hop breeders working for 10, 12, 14 years on this variety that just doesn't pan out, and here you just kind of found one. We're lucky in that. I mean, it. I don't expect it to ever happen to us again. And uh, we're very fortunate that A, we even found it, B, let alone that it was worth anything or worthwhile to pursue. You know, we've experimented with tons and tons of different varieties throughout the years. I mean, Dad used to have all sorts of plots and what have you. So we've seen enough in kind of that whole experience of testing and, and growing things out that I mean, we are very fortunate that this, I mean, that even anybody saw it to begin with, you know, in a sea of, of hops, you find one little oyster shell. That's a, that's a good story. Could you talk a little bit about the process of trademarking a name or is it trademark genetics or how does, how does it work now that you own a hop? So there's a few different things you can do. You can patent it if it's, you know, unique variety, which it is. We did not, we have not patented GEM uh, because it's incredibly expensive <laughs> to go through the process is a multi-year process as well as, I mean, I had been quoted like around $200,000. I don't know if that's still accurate. Maybe it's less or more or something like that. And we just simply didn't have the, the finances to, to dedicate to it. You know, we were reinvesting in the business and 
So a trademark is pretty easy to register and you know, our attorney drew up some paperwork and kind of took care of it. So you know, that way we can keep the name intact and, and the branding true to, to what we would like to you know, put out to the public. So then it gives you some quality controls over it. Yeah, I mean, we're currently right now, Gooding Farms is the only one growing it, although uh, we are in talks with, uh, you know, potentially collaborating with some other growers, colleagues, uh, what have you, to, to, you know, maintain that sort of supply chain safety. God, what if Idaho floods and, you know, or our farm, something, a disaster that, you know, there would be, you know, we kind of have not all of our eggs in one basket. Has anybody experimented growing it in Washington or Oregon and just how it grows differently? Not yet, although that's certainly on the radar. Okay. We're, uh, we're currently right now, it's in uh, getting cleaned up. So when hops are out in the yonder, uh, they can get different diseases internally. It's been proven time and again that virus-free plant material, you know, that way you're ensuring true to tightness as well as uh, maximizing out those agronomics. So we're kind of getting that cleaned up and then once the material is clean, you know, depending on demand, just like anything, I'm not gonna speculate on a bunch of acres that aren't warranted. You know, we try to be responsible in that sense. Then at that point, the, we'll you know, work some agreements out with our folks and, and get that material kind of proliferated out to those growers. So Idaho has also been seeing a huge expansion in acreage, right? So you said it bumped off, Oregon is number two, Idaho's now number two. What, what is driving that? I think in general, you're seeing a generational shift. So not to say that you're not seeing that in Oregon and Washington, but I think in Idaho, it's been pretty pronounced. So, you know, as the younger generation is coming into uh, full force, you know, we've, we all have wanted to be a little more, bit more aggressive in our marketing and our sales and have thankfully been, because of craft brewing, uh, the market has been conducive to that. And uh, the dealers, whether that be small dealers or large, have come and wanted to plant more varieties and more acres and you know also uh, maintain their safety and their supply chain that traditionally didn't buy hops in Idaho. So it's been kind of a multi-layered increase you know, the, the ground is there. It's obviously conducive for, for hops. And um, now you have demand that has found us that maybe had overlooked us previously. Have there been any new farms opening up or has it just been like expansion? Uh, there have been a couple uh, that have set up, you know, their whole picker, dryer, the whole nine yards. There's, you know, let's wish them well and good best of luck. At Gooding Farms, we're essentially at our acreage capacity. You know, we're in a good spot that we're efficient and we're utilizing our facility to its fullest potential. If we were to continue to, to add acreage, we would need to have a pretty heavy capital investment. If that time comes, then, you know, we'll pursue it at that point, but we're pretty, uh, you know, we're focusing on some of our internal processes and, and really trying to make our hops even better quality and um, consistency than they ever were and you know I think when you're reinvesting in your business and your processes and your staff and I mean the goal is that that comes through to the end product and and ultimately the end drinker. As a side I guess uh, the farm bill just passed was there anything pertaining to hops in there that you know of? Yeah there were two pieces and I haven't thoroughly investigated it's like a 900 something page it's a monolith <laughs> document 
Um, but Ann George, who's uh, the main administrator for Hop Girls of America and, and has been in hops for decades, she's kind of our, our, our number one gal. She sent out a little note saying that the pieces that were included were um, funding for USDA ARS, which is the agricultural research side, you know, for plant pathology and disease management. They've funded that through 2023. And there's also going to, and I don't, on this, there's some, a piece to the insurance that uh, hops might be able to be covered over the, or within the um, federal crop insurance program, which has never, they ever, haven't been? never, ever been an opportunity for us. Um, it's a pretty nicely subsidized um, insurance program, mm -hmm. and it actually safeguards against, you know, say, you know, if the prices just really go kind of crater out, well, you know, we've all built and invested so much, and we have our own, you know, sets of debts now. You can get insurance for pricing as well as crop coverage. And that is super recent, so beyond that, I couldn't, I don't exactly know what implications that's going to have, but it's very positive for the right. industry. Because any crop insurance that hops have been, you know, that we had access to was uh, all private insurance, and it, was in, it's, and it is incredibly expensive. Wow. Do you know the reason why it hadn't been covered? Was it just a? It's just a minority crop. Okay. A lot of, um, you know, specialty crops are not covered under the, the you know, federal insurance program. You know, if you grow beans or wheat or corn, obviously you can opt into it and, and get crop insurance for those. And I think that we were just too small of an industry. I mean, that was probably the pr predominant reason there. Wow. And I know hemp is now legally, you, you can legally grow it federally and it's also up for the same insurance programs. Is that gonna impact hops at all? Uh, either on the supply or the demand side? I think we'll have to wait and see. I, uh, I don't know, I wish I had a crystal ball that could tell us these answers. Um, I think that it's a very interesting opportunity and the folks that you know pursue that as a, a new revenue stream I mean it's pretty obvious uh, Colorado Washington you know the tax revenue there is pretty substantial for the states so I guess time will tell. Before we turned the mic on you were talking about one really interesting aspect of Idaho Gem uh, with, uh, was it Tom Nielsen at Sierra Nevada was playing around with it? So Sierra has um, taken a few bales and they're doing some testing and um, both in the chemistry as well as in the brew house. Um, one thing that has many people have commented on and whether that be dealers or brewers or you know my fellow growers is uh, the resininess of the hop itself. This year we had Mill 95 process it for us into pellet form and our their production manager said that it ran, it was more sticky than Zeus if those are you know, <laughs> fairly layman's terms, but the it has some sort of a very unique resinous quality. And it, it if you looked at the brewing values on a paper, you know, your oil percentage is, you know, brewers look at that a lot for, you know, how the hop is gonna work and, and, and you know, maximizing out flavors and so on and so forth. And the, the, the oil percentage, the total oil percentage in Idaho Gem can be up to 2%. This year is about 1.8, which isn't terribly high. You know, you're not three or four or something like this, 
but yet it is so resinousy and sticky. There's so much lupulin material in there. It's also not high alpha, it's not high beta. So it's kind of really excited to see what the different folks doing our, you know, kind of more thorough and in-depth investigations, what they're gonna come up with because it is incredibly unique characteristic of the variety. Well, it'll be fun to experiment with. Any, anything you think we missed or anything you'd like to add in conclusion? No, I just, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I love everything that's going on here at Yakima Valley Hops. Jeff Perkins, a longtime friend of mine, and uh, he said to his dad earlier today that I was the first hop grower he ever met. So it's kind of neat to see things come full circle and, um, you know, we're, it's a, a neat and exciting partnership and, and we think Idaho Gem's gonna hopefully have some legs behind it and, and we'll just pursue the, you know, forward progress. Very cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you much.